Greetings and welcome. My name is James White, and we are doing a study of the sufficiency of the Christian scriptures, the doctrine of sola scriptura, that God has given us a clear and compelling and sufficient word in the Holy Bible. And as a part of that study, we were looking at the fact that since scripture is God-breathed, it carries God's authority, that we cannot appeal to some higher authority, whether it be a a, a gathering of people in a council or a particular individual or, or some other kind of revelation. If the scriptures are God speaking, then they carry his authority and they are his words. And so in light of that, I want to take a look at some of the texts of scripture that have this teaching because many people would be unaware of the fact that the Bible teaches this about itself. And they might ask the question, well, is it, is it just one person in the Bible that teaches this? Or are there a whole group of individuals, a whole group of texts that would point us to this viewpoint of the Scriptures? Probably the most commonly used text to discuss the nature of the Bible, and especially the fact that it is God-breathed, is found in Paul's second epistle to Timothy. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and uh, he was a martyr for the cause of Christ. He was one of those first people to bring the message of Christ outside of uh, the, the narrow confines of Israel to, to the Gentile peoples. And one of the first people that, that he writes to as a, as a son in the faith, one of those people you can tell was very, very close to him, was a man named Timothy. We believe that Timothy was at this time an elder of the church at Ephesus, a very important city, a very major city. And we can tell from these epistles, these letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, that there was a very close bond between them. Second Timothy is the second of the two letters that we have that Paul wrote to Timothy. And in it, he makes Timothy aware of the fact that he knows that his life is not going to last much longer upon this earth. He knows that his end has come. And so when you write a letter to someone knowing that your end is near, you're only going to talk about those things that are very, very important. You're not going to be wasting time in writing your last letter to a dear loved one to talk about things that do not have eternal significance. And so when Paul writes to Timothy, he speaks of what Timothy is going to need to, to have to continue on because up to this point, when Timothy would have a, a, a difficulty in ministry, when he would be a, addressing a, a hard problem within the church, uh, he would be able to appeal to Paul, an apostle, uh, to get that kind of guidance that would come, well, directly from God. But now Paul is going to be leaving, and Timothy is not going to have access to this apostle. What is he going to do now? And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle talks about the fact that difficult times are going to come. He tells Timothy, Timothy, there are going to be men who are going to arise out of the church itself. They're going to look like us. They're going to dress like us. They're going to speak like us. And yet they're going to be speaking perverse things. They're going to draw away disciples after themselves, Timothy. They're going to be deceivers, and they're going to deceive other people. Difficult times will come. In fact, anyone, anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted. Well, these are, these are not happy words. Uh, these are not maybe the things that Timothy wanted to hear, but Paul knew this was going to happen. In fact, this isn't the only place where he addressed this. 
when he met with the elders from the church at Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, he told them the very same things. He says, I'm never going to see your face again, and you need to be aware that difficult times are going to come. And now he says the exact same thing to Timothy. Well, if you're telling Timothy, Timothy, there's going to be these difficulties, there's going to be false teachers. Where are you going to stand, Timothy? What's going to be your sufficiency? What are you going to look to? Does he tell him to, to, to look to other apostles, to look for new revelations? No, he doesn't tell him any of that. Instead, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read these words. After he talks about evil men and imposters, false brethren will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Then Paul says to Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all scripture is God-breathed. In the original Greek language, it is the Greek word theonoustos. Theos, God, noustos, breathed out. They are God-breathed and are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, have everything he needs equipped for every good work. And so here at this point in time, when Timothy needs to know how he is going to stand firm in the ministry, how he's going to handle all the challenges that are coming toward him, what does Paul do? He directs him toward the Word of God. He directs him toward that which is God-breathed. And if that was the case with an apostle, how much more so for us today? That is the source that we must, must turn to. I want to direct your attention, and I want to emphasize what it is that the apostle says here to Timothy. Why is it that Paul can say to Timothy, look to that which is God-breathed. What does it mean to be God-breathed? The term that has traditionally been used to translate this, at least in English Bibles, is the word inspiration. But there's a little bit of a problem with that word because to inspire means to breathe into something. We might say, for example, that, that a particular uh, play, a particular uh, work of poetry is inspiring, or a particular actor gave an inspired performance. And that means there was something special about it. It wasn't just normal, there was something breathed into it. But the term that is used in the original language, which is what we should be most concerned about, is not talking about breathing into something, it's talk about, talking about breathing out. That is, it is God-breathed. It is it is very much as if you were to put your hand in front of your mouth as you're speaking. As you're speaking, you feel the breath. That is the only way we can form the sounds is to, is to breathe out. And it is that level of intimacy, that level of personal nature of God speaking that Paul speaks about here and says that Scripture is actually God speaking. Now, someone might say, well... That's a very high view, but given that he's writing to Timothy, 
and the New Testament itself does not even exist at this point. There are going to be books that are written after Paul has written to Timothy, and so this could only be about the Old Testament. Well, certainly, the only collected work of Scripture that Timothy had at this point was what we call the Old Testament, and he would have had it in a, in a Greek translation, which we call the Greek Septuagint. But the point is that that which is God-breathed, that which comes from God, is going to be the sufficient source to allow Timothy to do the things that he needs to do as the man of God. And we know that the apostles recognized that inscripturation was happening, revelation was taking place, God was revealing the finality of truth in Jesus Christ in the inspired scriptures. Peter, for example, recognizes that Paul's writings are scripture and refers to them in that way. And so notice what is said. All scripture, not just parts of scripture, not just certain elements of scripture, but all scripture is God-breathed. That's what makes it scripture. That's what separates it from any human writing is that God has chosen to reveal himself. And it is that self-revelation in human language that becomes the Christian Bible. And because of that, if he wants to teach, that is to teach doctrine, that's the very word from which we get doctrine. If he wants to tell the people of God, this is who God is, this is how he's revealed himself, this is how we are to live, this is how we have eternal life in his name, where do you go? Does Timothy have to look to someone else? Does he have to look to some, some uh, body of, of leaders who will uh, keep coming up with new revelations? No. Look to that which is God-breathed for your doctrine, for your teaching. If you need to reprove and correct, which sadly so often does happen within the context of the church, if you have to reprove and correct false teachers or maybe even those who, who fall into error in their own teaching or their own lives, where do you go, Timothy? You go to that which is God-breathed. And so the promise of the apostle to Timothy in this last of his letters is that if you are the man of God and you desire to do good works, you desire to do those things that are pleasing to God, you desire to do those things because your own nature has been changed that bring joy to your heart, where do you go to know what these things are? According to verse 17 of chapter 3, the scriptures thoroughly equip. They provide you everything you need to do every good work. And if there is anything you think you need to do that the word of God does not equip you for, you're contradicting Paul's teaching in this text. Man of God, you go to that which is God-breathed. It is sufficient to equip you. Even in the face of false teachers, even in the face of, of, of people who once were in the church, but now they've gone out of the church and they've drawn people after them? Yes, even in those difficult situations, the Word of God is sufficient for you. The Spirit of God, who always works in perfect harmony with the Word of God, will always drive the man of God to the Word of God. That is what we see in this text. Now, someone might immediately say, well, that's fine and dandy, but that's just Paul's opinion. Now, of course, I believe that all Scripture is consistent with itself, but I certainly understand that there are many people who would say, well, you need to give more than just one text, and certainly we can do so. Where else might we go to get insight 
into this particular belief? Well, there was another man, and his name was Peter. And we know Peter is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote a, a couple shorter epistles. He was not the, the kind of writing apostle that, that Paul was, but he wrote a couple of shorter epistles. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, he gives us an incredible example and a, an analogy as to how revelation takes place in Scripture. He's talking about the fact that he was an eyewitness to that tremendous event called the transfiguration. You remember in Matthew chapter 17 when, when the Lord Jesus goes up upon the mountain and his glory has been, been hidden, but there upon the mountain as, as the, the, the glory of the Father appears and, and even some of the Old Testament prophets appear, Moses, we see the glory of Jesus shining through. And Peter is there, and he, is, he, is, he sees these things. He hears the very voice of the Father speaking to the Son, and he sees what's going on here upon the mountain. What a tremendous experience was his. And many of us would say, oh, if I could just, if I could just have an experience like that, a, a great spiritual experience, and I would be a, a strong believer, and I, I would never be shaken. And here was Peter. He had one of those experiences. And yet, what does he say in 2 Peter chapter 1? He says, we have a more sure word than even my personal experience found in the Scriptures. And why is this a more sure word? Why should we pay attention to the Scriptures as to, in his own words, a lamp shining in a dark place? Because he says these words, and I'll, I'll read these two different translations so that you see what the original language is communicating. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Another rendering of that text is, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope you hear what it is that Peter says here. He's saying that the Scriptures, those prophetic Scriptures, are not the result of particularly holy men just contemplating God and coming up with thoughts about God. They are not men looking out on the world and interpreting the world and going, well, I see that God must be like this because I see the beauty of the mountains or the majesty of the sea or something like this. No prophecy of Scripture, Peter says, came by the prophet's own interpretation. It didn't derive from within the prophet himself. It does not find its origin in the will of man. No prophet got up one morning and said, I think I'm going to write Scripture today. I feel like uh, with, uh, I'm going to come up with a couple of chapters. No, this is not what happened. The inspiration, the work of God in bringing Scripture about comes at God's time, not the prophet's time. 
and it doesn't come forth from the will of the man. But notice this beautiful word picture that is given to us here in the original language. It says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We need to see every word. Men spoke. The scriptures were written in human language. When Paul writes his epistles, at the end of one of those epistles, he says, brethren, pray for me. The psalmist can cry out in despair, where is God? I have suffered for so long. Or he can also cry out in joy at the redemption that he's experienced in God. These are human words. And God used human events to bring about the context and situation in which men are going to speak forth his word. God is sovereign over those things. But you'll also notice, men spoke from God. Men are speaking, but what they're speaking has come from God. You mean Paul saying, pray for me, came from God? Yes. The sovereign creator of all things so arranges his sovereign control over the world that what these men speak, even in their difficulties, even in their trials, even in their heartaches, comes forth from him and is exactly what he desires. And as these men speak from God, they're being carried along, literally carried along by the Holy Spirit. You may have had the experience as a young person as I did. I lived in a, a different part of my country when I was younger. I now live in a desert, so I, I don't get to see running water very often anymore. But in those days, I lived where that we would have uh, streams in the forests. And one of the things I would enjoy doing, and many young people have done this, in fact, probably older people too, if we admit it, you'd take a stick and you'd, you'd throw it into the stream, and then you'd follow it as it would follow the currents and eddies down along the stream. Or if you had better construction skills than I had, you might build a, a little boat and place it in the stream and as it would take it down maybe toward a lake or a river. Now, where did that stick, where did that boat go? It was being carried along by the current, carried along by the stream. Sometimes it would go into a little side channel and, and maybe spin around a little bit and then come back out again. But it wasn't the boat determining that. It was being carried along. And that's the image that Peter uses here. You see, these men, as they are speaking from God, they don't determine the directions they're going. There were many times when the prophets in the Old Testament had to say some very difficult things that they themselves would never want to say, words of judgment and condemnation. And yet, what they speak, they speak as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. This is important for so many reasons. It is important to recognize, for example, that the Spirit of God would not carry these men along into error. The Spirit of God is not to, going to carry them along to where they make mistakes, to where they become imbalanced. But also, as we put Peter and Paul together in what they have taught here, you also need to see something else. They're both saying the same thing. In both instances, this is God speaking. But notice that Paul said, all Scripture is God-breathed. He does not say 
that the men who write Scripture are God-breathed. Paul was addressing the final result, the written word. It is the result of all of that process of God being sovereign over the events in time and the fact that he's created Paul to be Paul and he created John to be John and, and Isaiah to be Isaiah. And so they're going to use certain words and they have certain temperaments. God has brought all of that together so that when they write, what they write is God-breathed, not the individual. We sometimes use the term inspired that way. We say, Paul was inspired to say this, or Peter was inspired to say that. I understand that. But that's not precise language, and sometimes it can lead to some, some confusion, some misunderstanding. What the text is saying is that it is what is written that is spoken from God. It is the result of that process that is God-breathed. So both of these writers, both apostles, very different temperaments, very different backgrounds, one a Galilean fisherman, one trained at the feet of Gamaliel in the highest levels of learning amongst the Jewish people, they both have the same view of Scripture being God-speaking. For Paul, theanustos, God-breathed, the very breath of God as he, as he speaks. For Peter, men spoke from God, human language, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Peter can say, the Scriptures provide you with a more solid foundation than all the personal stories I could tell you, no matter how wonderful they were. I mean, think of the stories that Peter could tell. <laughs> the stories that he could tell are tremendous, but you see, Peter's gone. And we have a sure word found in the Scriptures. Well, someone might say, all right, so you've got, you've got Peter, and you've got Paul, so the apostles came up with this. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? What did Jesus believe about the nature of Scripture? Well, that's an extremely important question. And that's what we're going to turn to in our next study is, did these apostles come up with these ideas on their own? Were they sort of renegades in essence? What was Jesus' view of Scripture? There are many people today who say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I honor Jesus. All right. If you believe in Jesus, if you, if you believe that Jesus is the one who will save you from your sins and, and bring you into the, the Father's presence, how can you trust someone to save your eternal soul while distrusting what they say about the Scriptures? Shouldn't we desire to have the very same view of the Bible that Jesus did? If he was who he claimed to be, if he truly was the Son of God, if he, if he truly was, as Paul described him, the creator of all things, then shouldn't his view of Scripture be our view of Scripture? Shouldn't it be natural for the Christian to have as high a view of the inspiration, consistency, and authority of the text of Scripture as Jesus? Well, how did Jesus express his view of Scripture? What did he believe? about the Bible. That's what we're going to go to the Gospels to find out. What did he say? How did he express it? And in doing so, will he provide for us 
a standard that we can follow. He most certainly will, and that's what we'll look at in our next study. Thank you.